My subject this morning is part two of our view of God. Uh, this week I'm going to continue that study because we have a lot of misunderstanding about God and how God really works. Last week we found out that the disciples were confused just like we are. They're confused about some of the things, what God is doing, how he's doing it. And so they came to him and they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he is born blind? And so the disciples and the Jews throughout the Old Testament, they believed that illness is a sign of God's judgment. Now, we find ourselves afraid to verbalize how we feel when we think about questioning God. Now, <clears throat> when we say, well, why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? What's going on? What, what, what am I doing that I should be doing? What am I not doing? And all sorts of things. And it seems like there's no clear-cut answer. So it threatens the very foundation of how we believe about the goodness and faithfulness of God. Now, this morning, I'm going, I will attempt. And I want you to know that I'm going to attempt. I'm not saying that I'm going to answer all the questions. But I'm going to attempt to answer some of the questions that we may have had about about God and how bad things happen to born-again Christians and um, what's God up to? I mean, what's really going on when born-again Christians are hurting so bad? I believe that one of the most frustrating things about living the Christian life is when God is silent. And then to make things worse, especially for me, I pick up the Bible and I read about Peter thrown into prison. And then an angel comes and he comforts him. Well, that sounds great. That sounds good. And then I read about Paul, who had some theological questions. And God came and beamed him off to the third heaven. And sat down and he answered all of Paul's questions. And so when I read all that, I say, well, let's be real about this whole thing. Yeah, my faith would be a lot stronger if every time I had a theological issue, which I've had many through the years, that God would beam me up into the third heaven and sit down and, and explain everything to me. Yes, my faith would be stronger. Now, how many of us have pleaded with God for answers? We've prayed, we've begged, and we hope that God would somehow, just somehow give us some sort of direction. Now, this past week, we had a terrible mass murder that took place in a bar in California. A couple of weeks ago, we had a mass murder take place in a synagogue in Pennsylvania. 
And yesterday I was watching the news and these fires in California. And they were interviewing this lady. She was in tears. She was crying. And she said, we prayed and prayed and prayed that God would spare our house. And he didn't. So what's going on? What's going on? Well, the truth is that we are in a fallen world and it's broken. And it's not going to get any better. God is not angry at us, nor is he upset at us. Most of the issues, not all, but most of the issues that we face today are because this world is broken. This world is a mess. And this world is out of control. Now, stop and just think for a moment what it must be like for a mother to bring her children together and tell them she had just heard that her daughter, her son, was killed at that bar in California. And now she's going to explain to her siblings that they're not coming back. He's not coming back. She's not coming back. What it would be like to explain to your daughter that your husband, their father, you're not going to see him again. So we look for answers. Death, disease, famine, earthquakes, war. These things were not part of God's original plan. And then there's that truth that many of our sufferings are from consequences of our own choice. Now I had the most beautiful, talented, the best Christian woman I've ever met as my wife for a good many years. And she made some bad decisions when it came to her health. I remember sitting down in a doctor's office in McLean, Virginia, and the doctor asked, told me, he says, I don't know if you're aware, but your wife has been a bulimic for 23 years. I said, no, I didn't know. And he said, it's very rare that someone would live this long, 23 years as a bulimic. And so, she made some bad decisions, but she was still the most beautiful Christian I've ever met. So we do make bad decisions, and there's circumstances that come from that. She died early, and um, it's because of some of those things, some of the choices that she did. But there are some who are going through really difficult times and they're looking for answers. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's because of circumstances. It could be because of pain. My good wife was in pain for 17 years. And because of pain, we don't always make the right choices in life. There are Christians going through all sorts of things today, but there are people who teach, Christians who teach, that God is doing this, that God is causing the pain. 
that God is trying to teach us a lesson or that God is testing you. So we're going to go and we're going to study 2 Corinthians 4 to find some sort of clue what God is doing in the midst of all of our troubles. So here it is, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, this is Paul now, he's talking to the Corinthians people, therefore, since we have, have this, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. So here Paul is talking about a ministry. Well, what is that ministry? If you read chapter 3, you'll find that it is about the new covenant, the covenant of grace. So this new ministry that Paul is talking about is about a covenant that God has made with you. And Paul says in chapter 3 that the ministry of death was engraved on stones. And now he says the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of Lord where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So what is Paul really talking about? He's talking about the battle between law and grace. What does being under the law look like? Well, it's a, it's a belief system. It's a concept. It goes something like this. If you do your part, then God will do his. In other words, it's this belief system that you are the initiator and then God responds. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is the initiator. We love God, the Bible says, because he first loved us. God came looking for us. And all of us here responded. So if we think that we have to do our part and then God is going to say, all right, now that they've proven themselves, now that's, then I'm, I'm going to step in and help them out. That is a false theology. Here is the bottom line. Satan wants you to buy into the idea that when bad things happen, it's your fault. So listen carefully. It is not your fault. It would have to, if it was your fault, it would have to be because of sin. But ask yourself, what did Jesus Christ do with your sins? Well, the Bible says that 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross. He died for the sins of the world. Now, he took them away as far as the east is from the west. So this whole thing about problems and circumstances and trials and tribulations, it is not your fault. In fact, it is, it's not about you. And it's not about your sins. It's a fallen world. If it was your fault, it would have to relate to sin. 
But God told us that our sins are forgiven, forgotten, forever. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And 2,000 years ago, Christ paid the penalty for sin. He died on the cross. It does not say anywhere in the Bible that the wages of sin is a little bit of sickness. And a lot of sin is a lot more sickness. The Bible doesn't say that. The wages of sin is death. It's not sickness. Or the wages of sin is some bad circumstances because of our sin. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And Paul is going to show us that this new covenant, this way of grace, is the very help that we need in the midst of our troubles. In 2 Corinthians 2, or 4, verse 2, we have, <clears throat> but we have renounced the hidden the things hidden because of the shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul is saying that he's renounced through Christ. He's renounced every practice that was inconsistent with his newfound faith. He says that there's no place for practicing deception, adulterating the word of God. Now, I'm well aware that this flies in the face of the prosperity theology that we hear today. Paul's manifestation of the truth appeals not only to our intellect, but according to the Bible, our conscience. And even... In verse 3, it says here, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now, in Paul's day, the situation was the same as it was in the days of Moses. For many, truth still remains hidden. And that is exactly the way it is today. There's a lot of truth that remains hidden. But there is a doctrine out there. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be preaching about that doctrine, predestination. There's a, that doctrine in itself has caused a lot of people a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. Because this doctrine says that God veils or blinds people from seeing the gospel. This is not true. The open gospel must be met with an open mind and heart. In verse 4, the Bible says, And in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of, our unbel of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So who is the God of this world? The Bible says several times it's Satan. So who's doing the blinding? It is Satan. 
God wants all, the Bible says that God wants all to come to repentance. He wants everyone to be saved, but God has given everyone a choice. They can be saved or they can reject the invitation to salvation. Satan's principal work is to blind or darken men's, men's minds. The battle between Christ and Satan is a battle of the mind. The gospel is the only means by which Satan's schemes and deceptions can be exposed. For we do not preach, the Bible says, Paul says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Now, Paul here, he was accused by some of the Corinthians of preaching sort of like a self-centered sermons. And here Paul sets the record straight. This message is not about how great or how awful we are. It's about Jesus Christ. But it's amazing to me how the Christian church, and I, and I was guilty of it, so I shouldn't be so amazed. I was guilty of it also. How we try to, to make it all about you and your sins. Some people say that you have all this problem in your life because of sin. No, you don't. It's about Jesus Christ who took away the sins of the world. It's not about you. Some people say it's because of your lack of faith. No, it's not. Everyone has been given the same measure of faith. Everyone. Some people say you need to fix yourself. No, you don't. Christ lives in you. And you're already fixed. You may not understand all that entails, but you are already fixed. Listen, in God's eyes, there is nothing wrong with you. Nothing. The Bible says that you are complete in Christ. The Bible says that you are forgiven, that you are perfect forever. God loves you just the way you are. He's not asking you to change. He's assured you that he will change you if you trust and believe in him. You are everything that God wants you to be. Well, some people say, if that's true, if what you're saying is true, why then, why then am I going through all these trials and tribulations? Well, one reason is we're confusing our circumstances with the realities of this fallen world. And so the Bible says, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I mean, that's an unusual thing for Paul to say, in the face of Christ. 
God's first recorded words brought forth light. Where there had only been darkness. And not only did God create natural light, he sent his son to be the light of the world. And according to the Greek construction of this passage, it says that God's shining into men's hearts is to give light. But the Bible says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So the Bible says that we have this this treasure in our earthen vessels. Now, this earthen vessel is going going to fade away someday. And I realized that when I had my cataracts removed. It's going to fade away. Um, according, According to God's word, this message, it is not about you, but it's about this treasure that is in you, in this earthen vessel. Now, what is this treasure? Is it that we are seated in the heavenly? Is it that we're going to be get eternal eternal life? Is it that we're Christians? Is that what it is? No. This treasure that is in you is Christ living in you. We are indwelt with the Spirit of Christ living in and through us. You've heard me many, many times refer to what God has done when he has when you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, how he's opened you up, he's giving you a new human heart which is everything that God says it is it is complete, it is whole it is everything that God says it is and it's within you it's within you so this message is not about you and your growth will not be about you how you grew in Christ Your fruit will not be about you. Paul says that our whole life is all about Christ. So in the midst of the pain and trouble, we are to look to him. And the Bible says that we will see his face. What does that mean? It means that as we look to Christ, we will see God in his perfect and purest form. The Bible says that we are afflicted in every way. Now this is Paul saying that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, Paul said afflicted in every way. Perplexed. The Greek meaning is to be in doubt. It is to be utterly at lost at what God is doing. Now here you have the Apostle Paul, who had probably one of the greatest conversion stories of all. God used him in a wonderful way. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And now here Paul is in doubt. 
He has doubts. He's at utter loss of what God is doing. And yet he's had all these wonderful experiences. But I'm sure Paul said, I don't get it, God. I know you control the universe. I know that everything is in your hands. But why was I stoned? I don't understand that. Why am I continually being persecuted and beaten? Why am I going through all of this? After all, you are the God that controls everything. Couldn't you give me a break somehow? Couldn't you just stop all of this from happening to me? He says, I don't understand it, Lord. He says, I don't have the answers. I, I, I don't understand what you're doing. And God seems, sometimes God seems to work everything out. And those are wonderful experiences, and I've had many of them. And sometimes God is just totally silent. And sometimes it drives me crazy. I try to figure out what's, what's God doing. I know that I'm being transformed, I say to myself. I know that God is in me and that he wants to deal with all of my problems. And yet I find myself going through every day almost the same until trials and tribulations and disaster comes to my life. Otherwise, every day is the same, it seems. And I'll never forget, and I mentioned it before, that when my wife died, I went down to the farm from the funeral. And I told my boys when I left, don't call me, I'll call you. I just want to be alone and figure out all what's going on in my life. It's okay to doubt. It's okay. Paul did. The greatest of all the apostles. He had his own issues. He had his own pleading and begging, asking God to take this thing from him. Three times he asked. And finally God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And I've came, I've came to the place where I'm not sure that I need to know all the answers anymore. I want to know them, but I'm not sure that it's important anymore. The Bible says in verse 10, always caring about in the body of the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. Now talk about something confusing. He says here that the life of Jesus is manifested in our bodies. Now, I know that when I read chapter 4 of Corinthians, I know what Paul, I know that he has some issues with the Corinthian people and everything, and I know what he's talking about. And um, he's talking about the physical stress that he and the disciples had gone through. But what about today? Today, we may not be beaten up by the crowd as Paul was, but we are beaten up. He's accusing us day and night. Satan is making the accusations that if you were really born again, 
If you really knew God, you wouldn't be thinking the way you think. You wouldn't be doing some of the things that you are doing. And he's the accuser of the brethren. He can't make us do anything. Is all he can do is accuse us. Because when he accuses us, we have a tendency to say, well, it's true. So it is me. So there's something wrong with me. And the Bible says that there's nothing wrong with you. But Satan says there is something wrong with you. It could be that he's beating you up with false doctrine. And that will beat you up. He's beating you up with circumstances. And that that he's doing to all of us. He's beating you up with a false identity that you're really not who God says you are because of what you're doing. Paul is relating that the life of Jesus at the very core of Christianity, it's more than forgiveness in heaven. It's about when you came to believe the resurrection of Christ coming and dwelling in your body. He is the light, Paul says. The world is in darkness. And he came so that the light would shine through the believer. You've heard me say over and over again that when you come to Jesus Christ and you accept him as your personal savior, he dwells in you. And he lives his life through you. And you become the light of the world. You become that light. It's Jesus Christ's light through you. So, the Bible says that that light, there's two things that God wants to do through you. He wants you to make the right choices. He does. He wants to help you make those right choices. And then he wants to love people through you. That's the two things that God wants us to do. He just wants you to love people so that light of Jesus Christ will shine through you. The Bible says... For we who live are constantly being delivered over to the death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now there's some confusion about this text. Because this is not talking about your old self dying. You were already dead and made alive by God. Paul says that this is his physical, there's physical persecution going on. And God doesn't need for every believer to be persecuted. The world is already doing that to us. So the Bible says, so death works in us, but life in you. Now, it's important that we look at this this text. What is Paul talking about? So death works in us. Us is the apostles. Not you, it's the apostles. So death works in us. We're going through persecution. We're being beaten. Uh, we're being chased down. Uh, we don't know if we're going to live tomorrow. 
So death works in us. But life is in you, Corinthians. That's what Paul is saying. Life is in you, Corinthians. And Paul is saying to us, life is in you at Grace Bible Fellowship. Life is in you. And then the Bible says here, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. We speak about what? Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Then the Bible says, for all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. What's going on? The message of grace. The message of grace is being manifested right now, and it's being manifested in you. Sometimes we take on negative thinking. There's no life in that. There are times that we have bitterness and resentment. There's no life in that. There are times when God just seems so distant. And we're told that we are to give thanks in everything. But how do you give thanks in everything when your whole world is crashing down? Why would I do that? Why would I give thanks? I remember at the funeral of my wife, and I was thinking, God says to give thanks and everything. How can I do that? How can I possibly do that? And then I was thinking, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's his life that is manifested in me. The God who created the heavens and the earth lives in me. The God who promised that he would never leave me, forsake me, he lives in me. So the God who promised us the realization that God lives in me. And his desire is for his life to be manifested in my life. Therefore, the Bible says, we do not lose heart, but though, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And the Bible says that when we go through difficulties and trials and tribulations, he wants us to look to Jesus, to look to him. And then Jesus tells us about the renewing of our minds. Focus on the things that are true about you. You are precious to God. He loves you beyond any love that we can understand or comprehend. He loves you just the way you are. He's not interested in you trying to change yourself. No, he will do the changing. Just sit back and relax and let God love you. And if you let God love you, God will change you. He'll change you and you'll be a manifestation 
of the life of Christ. And so the outer man is decaying, the Bible says, cancer, pain. Some of us have watched our loved one just go almost down to nothing. Cancer is a terrible thing. For 17 months, or for seven, excuse me, for 17 years, I watched my wife slowly, slowly, slowly dying. But in the midst of all this, the God of comfort is with you. The Bible says for momentary, monetarily light affliction is producing for us eternal weight of glory far beyond all of our comparison. When I read that, I thought, Paul, what in the world are you talking about? A light affliction? Are you really, really coming to us and telling us that this, is, this life is just light affliction? No. Light affliction, very few men have suffered as much as Paul. Affliction pursued him in every, in every way. But when he compared, when you look at life, and when he compared this span of life to eternity, he found joy in the thought of eternal life and the glory in the hereafter. And it would seem but a blip on the screen of his life. And so it is with us. Our trials and tribulations, they'll pass away. They'll pass by. And we'll look back at them and it'll be a blip in the screen of our life. And then the Bible says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the fact that we, we are the manifestation of you living in us. And although the trials and tribulations and the death and the sorrow are not easy, they're not, they're not easy. They're very difficult at times. But we praise you and thank you that there is another side of this picture. That although the world is coming at us, we praise you and thank you that you are always with us. That you are always in us. And we thank you. Bless us now, I pray, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ.